Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. The standoff between Russia and Europe just saw another escalation. Moscow is halting gas supplies to two NATO countries and vowing to do the same to others. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Gazprom, Russia's state gas company, is cutting off natural gas supply to Poland and Bulgaria. The move comes as Moscow warns it may be cutting off more countries that refuse to pay for gas in rubles. Be happening by and European leaders are decrying an energy blackmail targeting nations that support Ukraine. The Kremlin uses fossil fuels to try to blackmail us. This is something the European Commission has been preparing for. Poland and Bulgaria both have been supporting sanctions on Russia and aiding Ukraine's defense. They say they have been preparing for the cutoff with alternative gas supplies. They're also receiving gas from EU neighbors. The era of Russian fossil fuel in Europe is coming to an end. Europe is moving forward on energy issues. The White House also says it's working with partners on getting gas to Europe, while calling Russia's move weaponizing energy supplies that we had predicted. Meanwhile, although Poland and Bulgaria may be able to cope, other EU nations, in particular Germany and Italy, will be more sorely tested if Russia cuts off their supplies. Both nations have said they don't intend to pay for gas in rubles, defying Putin's demand. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. With critical natural resources becoming harder to get, the issue of where to get them and how to become more energy independent has been at the forefront of American politics. Congressman Pete Stauber of Minnesota represents the district that is home to the Duluth Complex, which houses 95% of U.S. nickel reserves and holds an abundance of other natural resources. We sat down with the congressman earlier. Congressman Pete Stauber, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, it's great to be with you again. Congressman, when it comes to critical rare earth minerals, why are they so important to our um, national security? Well, you look at, uh, we use critical minerals in, in, in so many products that are iPhones or iPads or televisions, our defensive weapons, they're used to, uh, to manufacture medical instruments and supplies. So critical minerals are really a strong foundation and we need those, we need to secure that supply chain. Uh, the United States has to, uh, uh, you know, um, mine these minerals. Th these are God-given to us in our earth. We can do it, and we can do it better than anybody following the best environmental and labor standards. Well, that brings me to my next question. Do we have the capacity to mine these within the United States? Do we have these? We have the capacity. We need to have the will. Uh, we need to have the political will to do that, and obviously this administration um, doesn't have the will to do that. Uh, we have the labor force able, ready, and willing to mine these critical minerals, uh, yet this administration continues to put up roadblocks and, in fact, takes uh, um, uh, permits off the table from uh, you know companies that have been trying to get permits for years. Congressman, uh, the you know Intel community has been raising alarms over China's uh, gradually moving into Africa and taking over a lot of their um, minerals. It's Africa is a very mineral-rich continent. Um, is this something that the U.S. 
do you think should be paying closer attention to? We should be play, paying very close attention to it, and we should have been paying close attention years ago. Uh, the communist country of China has the 100-year initiative, and what they, what they want to do is is own these minerals outright so that other, um, other countries across the world would depend on them for these minerals, and we can't do that. It is it's strategically important for the United States of America to mine these minerals here, manufacture them, and refine them here so we're not dependent on that foreign adversarial nation. So today Russia has cut off natural gas supplies to both uh, Poland and Bulgaria. Um, how might this impact the United States? Well I think that we have to look at uh, what uh, Joe Biden did the first within the first five hours of his administration. He killed the Keystone XL pipeline. He stopped uh, uh, permits, uh, um, oil permits on federal lands. Uh, hasn't uh, put an onshore uh, uh, oil lease out. Hasn't uh, put a uh, offshore oil lease out. Um, so we could do better than that, what's happening. And, and uh, so I think that uh, the, the focus should be on changing the policy, having the will as United States of America to be energy dominant. You know, energy, we, we talk about energy, there's ec there's uh, equity in energy too. There are other nations that and allies of ours that if we can uh, be exporters of energy, we can help them grow and make their economy stronger. And that's one of the goals as being allies across the nation. But we can't allow uh, Russia to control uh, Europe's uh, energy and oil supplies. That's just, uh, we can't have that. And this administration is allowing it thus far. Congressman Pete Stauber, thank you. Thank you very much. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken said he will address the U.S. national security strategy to deal with China in the coming weeks. Blinken spoke at a hearing at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Um, I will have an opportunity, I think, very soon in the coming weeks uh, to speak uh, publicly uh, and in some detail about the, uh, about the strategy. After more than a year since Biden took office, the administration has faced criticism from Republicans for lacking a formal strategy to deal with communist China. President Joe Biden is expected to visit Asia, including South Korea and Japan, in May. The lengths the Chinese Communist Party has gone to and will continue to go in in order to subvert America's dominance on the world stage cannot be overstated. In order to truly understand the ruthless nature of the CCP and their subversive tactics, there's no better book to read than the nine commentaries on the Chinese Communist Party, which was published by the Epoch Times. When it comes to following the CCP's dealings on American soil, one of the top minds on the subject is National Pulse lead investigative reporter Natalie Winters. And we had a chance to speak with her earlier today. Natalie Winters, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thank you so much for having me. Natalie, when it comes to U.S.-China relations, post-pandemic, uh, new administration, where do we stand right now? What is the temperature? Well, I think it's very different than the last administration, and I think the best way to analyze and assess this is in terms of the personnel that we see going into the Biden administration. And I think a lot of the, the appointees, talking all the way up to the level of the CIA director, are people who have at some point in their career been either, I would say, contaminated or cross paths with a lot of Chinese Communist Party influence groups and have, as a result, peddled a very soft line on China. So I think when you look at the kind of anatomy of the Biden administration from that perspective, I think that's how you understand a lot of the policies that we're getting out of them, um, which I think is 
to, to say the least, pretty soft on China. I don't think there's an appetite to really hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable, at least for COVID-19. It seems like the foot has sort of been let off the the, uh, the brake, or the gas rather, on that aspect. Um, but I, I think also, too, more broadly, even when you take China-focused issues out of it, I think what you see going on in Afghanistan and just sort of, sort of the chaos that has unfolded across the world um, is something that the Chinese Communist Party is really embracing and probably the, the primary beneficiary of. So Natalie, when it comes to the CCP's long reach and their arm meddling in United States uh, politics, culture, religion, how far does that go? You, you did sort of touch upon it there. It goes, I think, way further than most people understand. Um, the, the example that I gave of the CIA director, his name is Bill Burns. This is someone who used to chair a think tank called the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And while he was there, he oversaw millions of dollars in donations coming in from the China United States Exchange Foundation, one of the premier foreign influence groups that's basically funded and bankrolled and controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, they also appointed some Chinese Communist Party officials to the board of the thing tank. So if this is the person who's being chosen to serve as the CIA director, I think that sort of tells you the level of compromise that goes on. Um, even another individual, his name is Thomas Zimmerman, who's actually Joe Biden's point person on personnel at the National Security Agency. He used to be a visiting fellow at the Shanghai Academy of Social Sciences, which may sound innocuous to most people, but this is a Chinese Communist Party controlled think tank that's actually been flagged and actually seen Americans indicted for selling confidential documents. Um, and secrets too for the purposes of serving as spies and working in the you know realm of espionage on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party so you know when compromise and this rot of Chinese Communist Party influence goes all the way to these three-letter intelligence agencies I think it shows you how far we've come because I can guarantee you if they're trying to compromise the CIA and the NSA uh, the DOJ the DOD the DOE all these other departments um, have been compromised a very long time ago it's really unbelievable and the facts are out there just how widespread this is. Another example I want to get your thoughts on is the Chinese uh, Communist Party's um, meddling in our culture in terms of sending letters to performing arts venues throughout the country to prevent uh, Shen Yun performing arts from being able to perform just due to their uh, China before communism message. How deep is this in, within our own culture, universities, things like that? Well, I'm not surprised that the Chinese Communist Party is doing that because if you think about it, they've gotten away with a lot worse in terms of bullying and really, I think, almost in some ways, you know, persecuting, whether it's Hollywood and people making films, having them edit out certain scenes, or even all the way to universities. Um, they've seen that, you know, money speaks and when they fund research um, at some of America's leading institutions, I mean, I can think of Harvard, Yale, the University of Chicago as some of the, the best examples of groups that have taken money from, again, that same foreign influence group, the China United States Exchange Foundation. Um, and you've seen policy papers come out of these, these institutions, which are very soft on the Chinese Communist Party. One of my favorite stories is the Harvard Ash Center. Um, this is a group that's housed at the Harvard Kennedy School, which is, of course, you know, the training ground for the next generation of America. America's leaders, um, they take a lot of money from Chinese state-owned enterprises, and uh, coincidentally, they put out a report, I think it was about two years ago, that actually insisted that the Chinese Communist Party was as popular as ever, and that their support, uh, their approval rating was in the high 90s, um, which that is, you know, obviously propaganda, that's obviously false, um, but I think this is a perfect example of how 
the sort of compromise process works. So whether it's money or you know personnel and implanting them, um, they've seen it's really successful, right? You find the Achilles heel, you target that with money, with whatever, and it works. So I'm, I'm not surprised that they're trying to pressure um, a lot of these venues into canceling uh, you know, the celebration of China before communism. And frankly, they're probably looking around and seeing that a lot of people on the American left have sort of used a similar tactic in terms of trying to silence speech that they disagree with. So it's not unheard of. Natalie Winters, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.